0: It's time to connect this with a star-filled, fun-filled, explosion-filled, uh, <laughs> very filling, less filling, great taste event today, virtually. Um, I'm, uh, I'm out of sorts because I'm deeply concerned that quantum fiber might be passing me by. I'll explain more in a second. Uh, let me start with uh, Doug Dawson, who knows exactly what I'm talking about CCG Consulting.
1: Today I feel foam filled. Foam filled?
0: <laughs> memory foam? Like that's, sure. how, that's how. That's whenever I whenever I try to like uh, lose weight, I feel like I'm foam like the memory foam. It just comes back. <laughs>
1: yes, that's how I feel today.
0: Travis Carter, how are you doing?
2: I am well. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my new headset here. I want to be more like Doug. You know. Yeah. So, let me see. Let me see if it You're works. You
0: look like a Karelian princess.
2: Isn't it cool? These
1: are the new. <laughs> These
2: are the new Apple ones. I'm kind of excited to try.
1: Can you hear me? Yeah. We can hear it. We can hear you, but you know, you just need the beard now. A real <laughs> beard. A real beard. Like that.
2: Well, I think isn't that in November? Maybe
0: we'll do that in November, right?
1: All
2: right? Yeah.
0: And then we have Ms. Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber.
3: Hello, I do not have any headphones. I am not filled with foam. I'm just excited to be here to talk about broadband today and listen to some very bad jokes.
0: It's been two weeks. I feel like it's been forever. Like, I don't know. I don't know how y'all are doing, but like, it seems like it's been a while since we did this.
3: You missed us. It's okay. We get it. We
0: understand. Have you you had one of those weeks where, like, you know, like you just feel productive? You're getting a bunch of stuff done. And more just keeps falling. You just keep doing more and more things, and and it feels like today should be Saturday. Like I don't know, I'm (laughs) just—it's been wild. We, um, so I—I've been talking about how you know I I was excited when I saw um, a CenturyLink crew putting quantum fiber down my alley earlier this summer because I've been uh, in an area that had been left behind. Although, you know, if you go two blocks in one way, four blocks in another way, you get you hit fiber. But we didn't have it here. Uh, Very excited. Uh, Doug said it's not gonna be there f- by the end of the summer. Um, and uh, it's close. I was able to sign up for it and get an appointment in November, a few weeks ago. And then I just got a notification for them being, they wanna make sure you're ready for that appointment. And I was like, yeah, it's still six weeks away. <laughs> um, and so I just, I was curious, cause I saw them and they had a pop-up tent by the splice cabinet and a truck for two days. And I was like, oh, they're doing stuff. Maybe they're gonna move the date up and I can get it sooner. So I put my address in again. And it says it's not available. Before, briefly, it said it will be available soon, and let me set a date. So I was like, maybe there's something weird going on. So I put my neighbor's address in. It says not available. It's not, you know, you can use DSL. So now I'm like, oh, no. Like, am I losing it? Like, what is happening here? Hmm.
1: No, you just went from one system to another. They're not good at, these big ILECs are so bad at moving things from
4: not quite ready is
1: ready. They, they'd, someone just put your pile of addresses in the wrong pile. I mean, you already got an appointment. You'll, you're, you'll get it. However, now we're going to have to talk about the real date.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> do you think you'll get it by Christmas, Travis? What do you think?
0: Oh
2: yeah. Well, we'll we'll see. You know, um, I'm going to say no. No. Oh. But but I really want to. I want to <laughs> lose one bet one of these times. I mean, we can't win them all, can we, Chris? <laughs>
0: Uh I think I'm living proof you can't <laughs> win them all. And remember I had the one that came right, so I can't lose them all either. Oh. Uh so we have a jam-packed show. We've got uh Sean, uh our team or my team member, Sean Gonsalves coming on in a little bit. Um, I wanted to kick off with a few ones that we're gonna skip through pretty quickly. Um, but then we are gonna talk uh briefly about the letter of credit again, but we're not gonna get mired down in it because we've given it a lot of talk before, but there are two things that came out from a recent discussion about it that I wanted to highlight and just unpack a little bit. Uh, Sean is going to come on to talk about uh, the state's five-year plans and a couple of other things that, that uh, are related to that. Uh, we'll talk when Sean's out here then about how Louisiana got volume one approved for BEAT already, which is I uh, think pretty remarkable. Kudos to Louisiana. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about spectrum sharing and uh, what we could expect from that in the in the future and why that might be important. And um, if there's time, uh, there's a couple of other topics, we'll see if we can get to them or not. But one of them is, I want to talk just briefly about digital equity coalitions and the way in which they uh, could be ripped apart between uh, different pressures, pulling them in different ways. Uh, we now have, I believe, on the order of 70 Digital equity coalitions in in communities across the United States, and I expect we're going to see many more in the near future. So uh, that all said, I want to jump in and talk about G fiber again. Uh, G fiber is how some people call it, but obviously it's supposed to be G fiber. Uh, announced ACP plans. I thought that was really cool, uh, Kim. I don't know if you did. You have a reaction out there? You're in the you're in one of the G fiber markets. I think.
3: I think it's huge. I think what they're doing is huge. I think what they're saying is that if they basically are going to give you free internet, because it's going to be 30 megs for, what is it? Or $30 for 300 megs? Was, was that what it was? Yeah. Um, up and down. And I think that That's- is where digital equity ch- digital equity changes, because you're not giving them a 10-1 solution. You're actually giving mm. them something that is robust. And I think it's huge. I think it's a great play and a good market leader for uh, digital equity. So kudos to uh, G-Fiber or as you like to call them, G-Fiber
0: for doing what they're doing. As long as the ACP is around, it will be at no cost to folks. But even if that were to expire, it's a heck of a plan for an affordable amount.
3: Well, do you think they're doing it for a political reason or do you think they're actually doing it for an altruistic reason?
0: I thought they were going to announce it a while ago. I think it got caught in some internal bureaucracy type of thing. Look at Travis. What's the head shake over here? Do you do you want do you want the real truth? Yeah. Yes. All right,
2: and I will I, I will just say this, and again, this is maybe not politically correct, but we're a lot of the ISPs are having a really hard time collecting the delta from ACP to their normal rate, and it's becoming very very clear that the easiest way to do this without creating more cost and expense for you is just charge $30 for the service. Because we have, we along with a lot of other ISP partners have a ton of uncollected receivables. And the cost to go collect them
0: is so high, you just basically write it off.
3: So, so you're I have a question like, for you.
0: Wait, no, how I many? Answer, can I understand exactly oh, yeah, what yeah, yeah. I'm sure other people do? Because you have business sense, Kim. I don't. Um, despite running a business for 20 years, I still don't know what some of those terms meant. <laughs> so, Travis, what you're saying is if you were charging $50 and getting $30 back, I think a number of people aren't paying the $20 that yeah. they, are, they are supposed to pay themselves. Yeah, about 30%. So one of so, three customers that are on ACP yeah. are not paying the smaller amount that they're supposed to.
2: So so what it, so the, so the solution to the problem is create a hundred megabit tier at thirty dollars that only qualifies for ACP. Now you don't have the receivables problem. You're not getting a bad reputation with people by trying to you know track them down too much, and you're not having to spend all the money to track down that extra twenty bucks. So I mean, that's just the reality from the operators side. You know, how that works as a societal problem, that's a whole separate issue, but I think mm-hmm. that's what they've done. That's how you can, because you, you get to a point where you can't onboard any more ACP people because your cost to collect is so high. So I think what they've done, actually, they kind of beat us to the punch. I think it's, I
1: think it's a prudent move. And there's a lot of small, I, you hey, are muted right now. This. Yeah, there's a lot of folks who've already adopted this. So.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just has to, Yeah. <laughs>
3: I was trying no. to be respectful here. I was going to totally. ask you what do you, how many what's the percentage Travis of people who you have collections issues if you know that
4: about a third
3: about a third. So you're no, talking about a nice, significant we, amount.
0: So you're saying there's a third of collection issues for ACP. ACP. Oh, what yeah. is your normal collections issue percentage? Roughly? Well, see,
2: because well the problem you run into see with the ACP is you is you give them a 90 day grace period. All the other customers have a zero day grace period. So it ends up it ends up being that you have to go back and try to collect three months while you shut them off, and a lot of people just will will they're done. They won't. They'll they'll just move on to something else. So I'm I'm just saying that the solution to it is to keep the customers long term and to not cost you a fortune on the receivable side and retain the customers after the ninety days. Just charge thirty bucks.
3: Why do you have a ninety day grace period? Is that how long it takes to get the first uh, check yeah, in from the Yeah, battery? yeah,
2: exactly, yeah. Yep.
3: Because I, I think it's actually really good because it's a PR probably issue for you, Travis, too. If you start shutting off people who are on ACP, that exactly. becomes a whole issue. I
2: think where this is evolving into is exactly what
0: the Travis Google did,
2: which is huh. just create another That's tier of ACP's element.
0: Hello, Travis, we lost you there. So, so,
2: so so again, that's just our experience and the experience I've, I've chatted with a number of other operators. So I'm assuming that, you know, what five operators does not make it universal, but I'm guessing it, it is a factor for people.
0: Well, this is there's an interesting question. I was at an event and a person was breaking down the economics of, uh, of what it takes to, um, uh, serve certain areas and they headed out to actually like, you know, at, at this price point you need like 347 customers to generate like the revenue to like support that and this and that. And it was, uh, it made more sense than the way I might be describing it here in short. But my question was immediately like, I think you need more than that because like some number of customers that you pick up are just never going to pay a bill. And I'm curious, I've heard as much as 10% in some areas um, ignoring the ACP issue, Travis, How many, how often do you run into non-payment from other customers?
2: No, because again, in our world, I don't know about Kim's world, ours is all prepaid. Mm -hmm. So you only get, so we we have a very, very, very small percentage of people that, you know, that we deal with to the point that it's not, you don't even really bother with it because it's all prepaid. Whenever you get into a postpaid configuration, that's Mm -hmm. where you get into. So I guess I look at, look at our model. So we're going to get, three months of ninety dollars or if we just kept them on, we could get a whole year and net out three you know th- what 360. it'd be better to do it at thirty dollars for for a hundred bucks. I, I think I think Google's a lot smarter than we are and I think that's what they concluded. And, and you yeah. don't have to chase anyone around you don't get any bad press you don't get anything
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and mean, not, an, an, an answer, an answer to your question Chris is almost everybody. Prepays nowadays, pre-bills, mm-hmm. so, yeah. post-billing. What happens if you go to a new market and you post-bill, you do get that five or 10% of the market of people who are not intending to pay from day one. They use you until you kick them off. But, but in a and, prepaid world, you don't get any of them, so.
3: And what makes it really interesting over here is that they have two bills. So if they don't pay the ISP ah. or they don't pay Utopia, who suspended them or did we both suspend Ooh. them? <laughs> and right. who do they know? So if somebody gets suspended on the Utopia network, um they get put on a different VLAN with a splash page of telling them who suspended them
1: because
3: um, <laughs> you don't know um, and who to contact, and that's a problem with um, some of the models that we experience. But yeah, it's a it's collections is an interesting issue, especially with the PR because people who go to collections are usually the first one to post a review online oh, yeah. about how bad the the service is.
0: the uh, The comment here uh, comes from uh, one of our longtime commenters, someone who's uh, excited about his new fiber connection. Uh, and I was curious, is anyone else, um, you know, would you would you anticipate a price for life kind of thing, Travis, uh, as long as people are paying on time? You have just so many people that pay on time, it's not an issue that you're not worried about.
2: Well, the, the problem of price for life, and I think CenturyLink ran into this, is... You just don't know what the economic headwinds are going to be. Um, and we'll probably talk about this later. But when you go from a 4% interest rate to a 9% interest rate in a year, you can't, and you're stuck in a price for life. You might be in a situation where you're uh, the internet, you're, you're uh, out of business for life. So, you know, to, to put anything price for life anymore, I think is really risky, especially if you're well, a small or medium player. Well, it's,
1: it's insane. I, yeah, it's yeah. insane.
2: Yeah, okay.
3: And I, I don't know what happened with this, but I know that CenturyLink got sued here in Salt Lake City because they did a price for life, and then they were said, "Whoops, we didn't really mean that." And well, uh, no,
1: that's what they did. Them. They literally go, our, "Our marketing folks didn't have authority to do that." What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> is that is that what they did? Yeah, because they, they yeah, actually yeah. coined the term that they coined the term "price for life." Know. So that's that's it. Their didn't deal. even it didn't even yeah. last
1: a year. Their price for life didn't last a year. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm more of the mindset you get the highest quality product at a fair price. And the fair price, yeah, costs you
1: have to raise your rates once in a while, you raise your rates once. Yeah,
2: but it it goes back to this whole thing of what do we consider affordable? And I'd like to touch on that more later because no one's actually answered that question.
0: Except we have, and you just forgot it. We had a whole show where we (laughs) talked about it with Angela Seaver, but it was years ago.
3: Um, but um, Travis, you would love this conversation. I'm taking Chris's podcast. We just closed on our latest round of bonding today. Like they just sold on the market. Ooh. Do you do you want to know what the true interest cost was? You're gonna kill this. Him.
1: You're gonna kill them. I know.
3: You ready for this? I'm um, uh, um, It was about uh, around six percent. Ah.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Again, the benefits of being a, a government entity, right? Yeah. yeah. Bond
1: markets are yeah. <laughs> better. <Yeah. laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, I, I I'd be interested. Do in, you, you want to sell some of that action? I'll pay. I'd like a six <laughs> percent yield. Sweet. I don't think. I think. I don't think so. I think that was. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll we'll talk later,
0: Travis. Okay, we'll talk Later. You. Yeah. Boy,
2: <laughs> getting six percent on your money is pretty good. So,
0: I do want to throw out there that I, Longmont did a price for life deal when they were launching, and I think it has served them incredibly well because they captured more than fifty percent of the market in a few years. I think a big part of that was that I think. They did it at a time where they didn't get bit in the way that Travis is describing. And I think you know in a few more years, people will be upgrading to the two gigabyte, I'm sorry, two gigabit or 10 gigabit service levels where they will no longer be having that $50 a month uh, price for life. But it was a great way for them to uh, make sure that Comcast couldn't give people a six month deal and prevent the neighborhoods from really signing up for that new service. So yeah. I just
2: eventually
1: it bites you in the butt. It might be fine. Here's here's the reality that
2: I saw. That resonates with people price for life, so they'll sign up for it. And I think they just figured out it's kind of like an insurance deal. How much is it going to cost them to get out of it? A lot less than the customers they onboarded. But
3: don't you see these like promotions, like the one guy who bought the Disney pass that like lasted forever and he actually uses it? It's like this one person might use it for life, but most
2: people won't. Or that Delta Airline, or that American Airlines person unlimited <laughs> flight, yeah, yeah. But it's only one. I mean, that's the thing, you know. Yeah.
0: The other thing was last week I I, I said that um, I thought the the Go Fiber uh, West Des Moines model was great, and then one of our listeners was like. Wait a minute. What? You think this is great? And, and I just wanted to offer a little bit more context than that. I think it's great for cities that aren't likely to be doing anything else. I think it's a great way for cities who are probably not going to invest in building their own network to uh, be able to pay a fraction of what it would cost to get a network across most of the towns. I don't think it's where it works necessarily for everyone. But I'm excited that there is a model out there like that that fits some cities. So I just want to come back and, and harp on that again, because I'm still confused why we don't see a few more cities uh, embracing that model. Well, that model, that, <clears throat> that model okay. is a
1: <clears throat> short-term, you subsidize it. What, what West Des Moines says is in the long run, the economic benefits more than pay back the difference. But they're not recovering their initial investment if you look at it as a pure you know, profit and loss statement. Uh, but they say that the benefits, and, and that's where you get into what are the real benefits of fiber. They're not necessarily just the cost and the revenue stream from fiber. It's the other 300 things it does for the community. So there's not many there's not many communities that are doing that have the vision they have. Now, whether they're lying about that or not, I don't know. But Chattanooga says their benefits are humongous, right? But
3: but I think it's like we've got to stop criticizing people for doing their own models. Like, what if they don't want to operate it? Let them just be it. They're getting fiber.
1: I mean, if that's the goal. They're getting fiber Mm -hmm. and the city's happy. What else do you want out of a model,
0: right? All right. So moving on to net neutrality is back in the news. Uh, I think uh, most of us are just kind of annoyed, um, sort of the way, like, uh, Carl Bodie and I just recorded the Community Broadband Bits podcast for next week. We talk um, about the history of some of this and talk about it quite a bit. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it today, but Doug, um, you had a quick reaction to it. Uh, What's your quick reaction to it being back in the news?
1: It annoys the hell out of me because the issue is not neutrality. The issue is
0: regulation, and nobody wants to use the word regulation.
1: Everybody wants broadband to be regulated. They just don't know that's what they want. There's really very, there's no actual net neutrality issues. The ISPs are not out doing those terrible things. Net neutrality stops, partially because California already has net neutrality. If you're a nationwide ISP, you just don't do it because of that. Um, but but the, the ISPs do not want to be regulated. That's the big ones. So um, that's what it's all about. And. And, I, and it's just one of those things that's like using the word 5G when it's 4G. We're using the word net neutrality when it's really regulation. So that, that annoys me. So.
0: And by regulation, you mean basically the authority of the FCC to actually do stuff if there are some yeah. ISPs that are abusing, making sure that people deploying broadband have access to polls. These are the sorts of yeah. things. That are state- I mean,
1: today, if, if an ISP, if, if CenturyLink bills someone $10,000 instead of hundred dollars the FCC won't even do anything about it. All those things went away when, when that regulation died. There's a lot of things that the FCC used to do for, for, for ratepayers that has just simply gone away. The ISPs are gonna say, they're gonna regulate our rates. Like, no, they're not, they don't regulate cable rates, they don't regulate cellular rates, they don't regulate telephone rates. Why would they regulate broadband rates? So I mean, they just don't wanna be regulated at all. They don't want the FCC to tell them how to do anything.
3: It's but awesome. I was actually inter- interviewed about this by a reporter earlier today, and they said, well, the industries and all these groups are saying you don't need net neutrality. It's, it's not even a problem. And I said, we need to stop that conversation of what the industry and these groups say. Yes. We need to listen to consumers and what consumers right? want. And I think that's why in, it hasn't really been released yet, but it will in the next few days. It's a utopia survey. We ask this question every year, and eighty, almost 88% of the people that responded said it's extremely important Or very important to them, net neutrality, and so that is what you're seeing. But the all these other groups who have other, maybe other interests, are the ones who are saying, "Oh, we don't need this." But yes, I think the consumers are saying we do need this. I think we have to flip the script on this and stop letting the industry dictate the conversation yet again.
0: And Travis, if I could read into you, I would guess you're thinking this doesn't even apply to me. Like it doesn't. I don't care. Like no, no, no.
2: Stop messing up our jam. This is one of our great (laughs) marketing items, right? Is Mm -hmm. you know, to Kim's point, she that resonates with people, and if the competition doesn't support net neutrality and we do, bonus for Mm -hmm. us. So, I am anti-FCC getting involved with one of our good marketing campaigns. So,
0: (laughs) 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 part of this that I love is that um, the the great part about net neutrality is it's a chance for a bunch of uh, of uh, people that have uh, served in the Democratic Party, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, that have served in the Democratic Party to come out and sell themselves to the telco and the cable monopolies. Uh, we see several former uh, Obama lawyers writing a paper now saying, oh, this the FCC is overreached. They don't have the authority to decide this. Um, just like we saw centrist uh, senators selling themselves to tank uh, G.G. Sohn's commission. This is a okay. great opportunity for people yeah. who need to pad their bank accounts with their former yes. public service to come out and get a bunch of money from the telcos. Uh Kimmer first.
3: Um, I would just like to let you know, ask you, do you think this is a stunt on Rose and um, like in her little hat, um, little toolbox, if you will, to try to get her reputation better since of the SEC fiasco? Because it was one day after that she announced this, after um, the, I don't think, I would the whole SEC.
0: I would assume that she had this plan you know that she saw that this was a very popular thing to do um and so uh and not like that i mean i don't think in this industry is gonna like you know argue about it and and like have put tons of money into it but i don't think they really care at the end of the day that much um as long as the fight doesn't go any further in the direction of regulation like they're happy for it to stop with net neutrality i think anyone else travis, travis. <laughs>
2: Is there a bet here? I feel like a chicken wing bet coming up. I say the FCC does nothing.
0: Oh, oh right. do I'll take that rule. bet. They're going to do yeah. it. They'll pass it. They'll I think they're going to okay. pass the rule in uh, in four mo- in four weeks, or whatever when their when their um, next vote is. Okay. And the funny I'm, I'm, thing I'm, is,
1: the, the courts have already ruled that the FCC has the authority to do this. We don't have. Oh, that was a
0: different court. court. It was nice it again. was eons ago, Doug. Well, uh, yeah, I
1: know, <laughs> I know.
0: But, Doug, how
2: are the wireless providers going to react? Because they, they don't have enough spectrum not to rate limit.
0: It's not about rate limiting. It's about whether or not you are discriminating in how you rate limit. If you are rate limiting some video providers more than others is the issue, not whether you rate limit video as a whole class.
2: Oh, so it's, so it's like net neutrality light.
0: No, no, that's what
1: that neutrality has no. always been. Mm. No, I mean, they can't make your network go faster than it goes. So Okay, you, thank if you. If we're, okay, we're, our, you our marketing net, is good if you if you rate limit everybody then you're not discriminating yes so. oh
2: so so equal um, discrimination's good then okay yeah. i get it okay yeah.
1: oh well then our marketing's
2: fine go ahead and do whatever you want fcc yeah
0: yeah <laughs> We're going to bring uh, Sean on to talk about uh, what the states are doing with some of the state plans. Uh, one of the things that uh, when uh, I asked Carl Bodie to come on the Community Broadband Bits podcast, um, you know, it, he and I have been going back and forth about something. And he just pointed out something that he says all the time on social media, which is that, you know, if you look at what the government says, the Federal Communications Commission, the states, whatever, no one actually recognizes that monopoly is a big part of the problem that we have in getting high quality internet access out to everyone and so uh sean our associate director of communications uh had already been looking at state plans and you really dug into this sean I, first thing i have to ask you is uh did
4: you just like run into a phone booth you were wearing a hoodie like 10 seconds ago i i, I was man it, it, you know like i was gonna call myself superman but i better say i better call myself the, the black panther <laughs> I, sean Starwick, Starwick like, Bozeman.
3: don't try to like outclass us with that nice outfit that you have on. Really why I
4: did it is the the tag on the back of the sweatshirt was driving me crazy on my neck. So
0: (laughs) real reasons. Okay. So Sean, what did
4: you do digging into some of these state plans? Well, I mean, like you said, first of all, it's like, I don't like know of anybody that disagrees with the observation that like the market is broken and we're all like in this chokehold of like monopoly incumbents. So it's like, all right, so what are the states saying about this in their B plans? which, by the way, the the Biden administration calls the Internet for All initiative, which is another discussion and I think is a mistake. But at any rate, so I so I go. So I'm going through these plans and I specifically said, you know what, let me do a word search. And in, 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 in all of these uh, five year action plans, uh, not all states have submitted them yet, but a, but a good chunk of them have. Um, and. let You know, let me see if the word monopoly appears um, anywhere Um and of course I got, you know, zero results, except with one, there's one state B plan that mentions the word monopoly twice. And that's South Carolina's uh, five-year plan. And that's only because I think, because they, they actually quoted from some of the feedback they were getting from their listening sessions. And so it's kind of that contrast. So in the listening sessions around the state, as they were putting this plan together, they got an earful from a lot of folks in South Carolina and, uh, a number of the quotes that they put in the bead plan specifically say the problem is, is that we, is that there's a monopoly and there's no choice. Uh, so that's the only five-year B plan where I came across that word, but I figured, you know, all right, look, I kind of, I guess, like in the political environment could understand why they might not want to use that word. So, so then I said, well, let me look to see what these bead plans say about competition and choice. And so there's, there's, there's a mix. There's a number of, of, of states that, that at least explicitly acknowledge that that's a real issue. And, um, and you know, they'll have some kind of like, you know, vague rhetoric about how they want to encourage competition. Um, you know, I think most of us here have a sense of some of the states that are serious about that and kind of creating those market conditions. And then there's a bunch of states that it sounds good to say that, but I don't really know, like when they say, oh, we're going to encourage public-private partnerships. It's like, okay, but how? And it's not really clear
0: um yeah i mean um, i you know when i um when i open up a package of sour dots my um my goal is not to eat all of them and uh yeah it just just happens like i just i feel like there's like this sense of like um the states are saying like oh we really like competition we're not gonna actually do anything to try to create that competition you know like we're not gonna do the hard work of, of, uh, of creating that, making it easier of limiting the power of those who are stopping stifling the compilation competition. So, yeah,
4: yeah I, I mean, it's like, well, I, I guess I was sort of pleased to see kind of like it, it at least that being, being acknowledged in some, in, in some of these B plans. And then there was, there there were a few that kind of like stood out to me, Louisiana's, Five-year plan, and then of course Louisiana has filed their initial proposal, their there's their volume two, and they're the first state to get their initial proposal approved. So they're they're leading. Volume the pack. one of
0: the initial proposal is approved. I think mean, volume two is not yet done.
4: Right, but the, but they're 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 leading the pack and kind of making their way to unlocking those bead funds. And and the reason why I think Louisiana that that, that NTA NTIA has signed off on their plan. Is interesting because to me it's a, it's a it's a signal of what NTIA is going to accept moving forward. And well, let's you know, let's hold off
0: on that and let's get a reaction yeah. from uh,
4: Travis. Or go ahead, Doug, first
0: on uh, on this issue of like no state calling out monopoly as a problem.
1: Well, first off, South Carolina said it because they have a
0: broadband director who's
1: massively anti-monopoly. So he that's part of his. Jim Stritzinger, that's really part of who he is, right? So he's been battling that for 10, 15 years. So I'm not surprised that they're the only ones so far that did it. You know, the, the choice thing, there is no such thing as choice with B. You're giving somebody a rural area to go build broadband, and how are you gonna do choice there? Whether it's a little company or a big company, you're giving them a monopoly. I mean, choice, choice and rural broadband really don't mesh together well, right? You know, there's no one's going to build rural open access networks. They are well, some truly, do truly, truly rural. You do truly rural. No, Kim doesn't. She doesn't build in the middle. Of nowhere, no, Kim doesn't. No. But I
0: think Napa Valley in Colorado has there's uh, yeah. there are you know, I just want to say no one because there are a few, yeah. But, but, but it's, a really hard, hard.
1: it's a really hard model to make work. So,
0: right, you need um, all of the revenues, you can't just share the revenues with another you party, would, you need them. right.
1: You need to
3: come in together with a group of cities. You can't just build a standalone open access network right. by yourself. But I think this goes almost to Travis's previous point about affordability. What does competition mean? Like, what does competition really mean? And when they say that? And I think that's the the question of, does it mean multiple providers? Does it mean open access? What does it mean?
1: Um, who knows? Well, and, and that's a great point. We're going to see some of these speed networks where the starting prices will be $100. I mean, I promise you that's coming. Well, I,
4: I looked at a few states just because of the the, the panel here, um, Minnesota and, and a few other places, and uh, in Minnesota's in Minnesota's plan, I couldn't find the word competition or choice anywhere in the plan. So I guess in Minnesota, apparently, there's robust competition. There's tons of providers, and that are driving down the price of internet subscriptions, right, Chris?
3: I've never seen any sarcasm with that comment at all. That was no sarcasm at all, right, Sean?
0: (laughs) So Doug's point remains that this is a program for, I mean, we we have two tracks in our heads. One is, in reality, this money is for rural areas. In some states, all rural locations that are unserved. In some cases, a fraction of them. The Biden administration is in the other track where they want to be like, this is solving all of the problems. and I can't figure out for the life of me what their end game is with this. But like yeah. the five year plan isn't supposed to be just rural. The five year plan is everyone's connected, right? Like, I mean, we're solving the problem for everyone. And so in theory, the five year plan shouldn't be limited to just bead, but it should be talking about, uh, you know, what we're going to do in urban areas as well.
1: And, and how can you do that without talking
0: competition
1: now? See, that's a different issue now. When you talk cities, you, you have to be talking competition.
0: Otherwise, how do you
1: even talk about it? Yeah, Travis. Travis's c-
0: competition—he's
1: overbuilding other people. That's what, exactly what you want. So,
0: but it's rare, and Travis has explained why there's very so few Travis's.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I—I I don't know. I sat on that Minnesota to Sean's point. I don't can't even know what it was. Minnesota broadband, something or another. The Governor's so, task force. Yeah, whatever it is. And I sat for two hours, and at the end of it, I had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was PowerPoint after PowerPoint and all these talking points, but I'm like, okay, so what's the plan? The plan is we need to make more plans, I guess. I don't know.
0: Well, so. if you're an incumbent with a monopoly, yeah, that is 100% the plan. And that's why when they create these task forces, if you see that roughly you know, 25 to 35% of the members of the task force are the incumbents and the plan is in the, in the, the task force is supposed to be unanimous, you know that the goal is to waste time. It is not to advance well, anything serious.
2: I mean, you know this is a genius program, this bead, right? Because people are going to be dinking around in the rural, you know, areas for years, while all these companies are making a fortune in the metros. So, you know, it's it's genius from a business standpoint. Just let everyone worry about these little outlying areas that have been that are underserved, while they continue for the next ten years, as in your monopoly stat state in all these major metro areas what did we decide 82 percent of americans live in these metro areas i mean Mm -hmm.
4: of course why wouldn't you and most of them have only one rail choice you know sure kim Kim, you 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 may be happy to note that montana's five-year b plan specifically shouts out yellowstone fiber and talks about it as a you know as a model of increasing competition and and, and, and so forth. But, you know, one thing I thought was interesting, Missouri isn't a state that I think of as like a hotbed of municipal broadband, but under their like section on encouraging competition, they specifically say that they're going to be working with cooperatives and and, and municipal broadband applicants to try to increase competition. And they, and they make the link between that and, and affordability and what have you. Except there's I a law in Missouri that makes it very hard for a municipality to become an ISP. Well,
3: well I think for, that's the thing. Like, what well, are you saying and what are you doing? It's two different right? things. It's that's uh, like, I, I think there's a lot of good people at the broadband offices, but how do you actually get into operations? I think well, it's a totally different discussion. I
0: mean, I want to be clear. And Missouri has one of these laws. These laws are now quite old, and many of them are more geared toward local exchange services and cable television services. Missouri's law actually allows cities to do internet-type services. So I don't know what that means, although I think that's everything today, like literally every service. Um, And so, you know, some states do have barriers, but in practice, they are um, not as strong as you might think. Uh, and, and Missouri is one of them. Some states like Nebraska, um, North Carolina, Louisiana, the the ban is, in, is nearly in, in com- complete. It's very hard to do anything in those states. But Missouri, I think actually cities have a fair amount of options. What's interesting to me is that both CenturyLink and AT&T have tried like three or four times in the past five or six years to create a new restriction in Missouri and have failed. Um, oftentimes, the sponsor of that bill refuses to work with them in the future because they feel so burned <laughs> meanwhile there's
1: no cities in missouri jumping into the business so.
2: well you know doug how is there even a plausible way for anyone to start up you know in, in a, a competitive internet provider in a major metro anymore i mean how would you even start
1: with today's interest rates now only when interest rates go back down yeah
2: yeah okay so so the conversation is kind of dead for now then huh
1: yeah from for, for but, but even regular financing, I mean, not only are on interest rates high, you can't get a loan. If you were new now, Travis, you wouldn't be getting a loan.
2: No, no, we even, yeah.
1: even if you could afford nine percent, they wouldn't get it. So. And if, Shoot,
2: yeah, you we we understand. we we did our Wisconsin project. I couldn't even get a loan, and we were already an right. established entity. Because right. it was considered an upstart, so you know we talk about all this competition. You mean, startup.
1: We, we know you're an upstart, but yeah,
2: yeah an upstart. Start. Yeah, 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 an upstart. <laughs> you know, we we talk about all this 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 utopia of all this competition. I just don't know how you realistically make it happen. Yeah. I do. This is this has been the focus of our work for 16 years. Yeah, okay, tell us, Mr. Mitchell. How, tell us. How, okay, the, we, the 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 five of us are going to start a internet provider. How are we going to do it?
0: The reason that we have focused our work at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance around local government is because local governments have access to money. They can borrow. They can raise money. They have capital improvement budgets that they can divert to their higher priorities. And so that is that would be what I would expect to be seeing more of in the future. If interest rates remain high, I think we will see more nonprofit-type approaches like Project Waves in Baltimore, Digital C in Cleveland, both of which have you know pretty unique stories. But I think we will see others saying, well, okay, so if we need to budget a few million dollars out of the city budget to get this nonprofit going, then maybe we're going to do that and we're going to do a partnership with philanthropy or something like that. But I think that's one of the things we'll see in more urban areas. I agree. But but, I was answering
1: few... Travis's question of how does the commercial one get started up and they don't. So, yeah.
2: Well, yeah, but, but even at a few million dollars, that doesn't even do a dent in, no. you know, you'll, you'll well, be doing no this way. for the next hundred years. If you're
0: starting from square, I mean, I feel like this is contradicting things you've said in the past, Travis, which is, you know, if you're building a business, you start off in the first year, what did you start off? We start off with well less than a million dollars. Now you had other things going on, but like, you know, if I was starting, if I was uh, in Minneapolis and the city of Minneapolis was like, you know what? We've been talking about this, not even talking about it. We've been ignoring this problem for so long. We're really going to do something with it. But, but, you know, Chris, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? Oh, and by the way, we can't work with Travis um, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. So it's just like Most cities don't have a U. So um, St. Paul, for some reason, you can't come across the river. Um, What do you do? I would say, let's start on MDUs let's look at public housing and and uh, and the the buildings that are owned by you know for uh, that are high that are high poverty you know sorts of, uh sorts of things let's get them connected with like fiber to the rooftop sorry get wireless to the rooftops get fiber to some of them if it's possible we'll build the network we'll start off with some of those you know we'll start off with a few million dollars get those rolling and then we'll start expanding into the areas around there and it's not going to happen overnight but that's the way i would do it and mm-hmm. part of the reason you do that is because is that, I mean, even though we're talking about philanthropy and local governments, they also want to see that you're competent before they put in more and more money. And so you start with something, you demonstrate that it could work, and then you grow it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, mean I, I like the slow and steady approach, but it doesn't solve the competition thing, probably in the timeline. Or are we going to have the political moxie at the, at the, at the county or the city or the state to, to give you the time? To get it
4: done. Well, I mean, this
0: is where uh-huh. this is where that West Des Moines model comes back. I mean if if I'm serious, like if I want municipal infrastructure and I want a competitor that can come in and go fast, I would be considering the fiber. I would be looking at other local providers <laughs> and I would say let's build a municipal fiber network. Let's lease it out. Let's figure out how to get some competition in here more rapidly. That would be dependent on one thing. If I was going to build a municipal fiber network somewhere, the first thing I would ask myself is who's going to run it? Can I get a GM that I trust to really get in here and do it well and and do that sort of a thing? That's one of the things the city struggle with, I think.
4: Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, like if you pull the lens back as far as it relates to like the plans and all this and competition, there's no question that people are screaming for it. And um, and you would think that states and the federal government would at least like seriously consider how you might do that. how you might encourage that, and and to Kim's point earlier, like you know, you know the you know it's just sort of like rhetoric that they're putting in these plans. I agree, but you know, in part because you know the BEED NOFO required, particularly mm-hmm. the states with the well, well, the states that have these preemption laws to explain themselves, and so they've got to have something in there. And then, mm-hmm. which is why I find Louisiana's plan interesting in in some ways because I think it's an indication of what the NTIA will accept as as, as it relates to states with preemption laws um and, and how you you can kind of like get 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 around it you can keep your preemption laws and still get the bead money as long as you kind of have you know you 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 do a little uh you do a little dance you well for political my political game bit.
3: you do the political game that's what it is exactly but, what it is
0: but it also feels like I mean North Carolina I feel like their office is like straight up these laws are harmful Louisiana, I felt, was like, eh, maybe we could do public private partnerships. I don't know, you know, it was like the vaguest, hand wavy kind of thing that like was not persuasive, and yet I, I was, you know, NTIA seems to have just been like, cool,
4: right? I don't know. Well, if more you, well, well, well Louisiana's look. plan seems to make a big deal about these local support letters. I think that's their like workaround on it, like. Ugh. They'll prior, you know. They'll give extra, you know, uh, weight, you know, weight to uh, applicants that have, you know, local letters of support, and I think that's how they're going to broadly define, not excluding municipalities from bead. Well, two answers to that. First off, they don't. Louisiana is only
1: giving four out of like eight hundred points for that, so that they're they're giving almost no value to the local letter of credit. Um, you know, North Carolina is a great one to talk about because. The problem that the broadband office has here is, is there's about five other states in the same position. The state legislature has to also approve the NTIA plan after the NTIA approves it, and they're going to disagree with it. And so so they have to write the plan to satisfy the legislature here. And if NTIA doesn't like it, there may not be a plan. They could come to a screeching halt. So the legislature has literally pushed themselves into the middle of that Review process. There's mm. about five other states that have done the same thing. That that's beyond politics at that point. It's a mess. So,
3: I, I mean, I'm hearing from states that I'm hearing from communities across the country that are saying, "I'm just not going to wait for the the bead money. I'm not even putting. We know we qualify. We know we could get it. We've talked to our state, but they're like, I just don't want to wait. It's too flipping long. Like, let's figure out a solution to do it today. Right. And I, I think they are seeing
0: that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. They have a better option. I don't Perhaps. know if they
3: have a better option, but they just don't want to get into the politics and all the strings that are tie- tied to some of this money because they don't know at the end of the day of how long that's really going to take and how much resources it's going to take.
0: The two things about Louisiana. One, um, automatically uh, DSL is underserved. Uh, I kind of would have preferred unserved, I think, although it's pretty it's a good. I think it's a good idea that it's an automatic underserved. It's better than nothing, I think. Um, and um the other thing is that i thought was interesting um is that in terms of claims i don't want to read all of this um but um subscribers can't um uh challenge on the basis of a speed test uh but um you could have entities like nonprofits collecting a bunch of them to demonstrate that a given area does not have what is claimed and then the burden is on the providers to demonstrate within that area that they are actually providing that, which I think is really good. Burden of proof, I think, should be on providers generally, um, not always, and you know, it shouldn't be uh, too onerous necessarily. I mean, there are realities here, but um, but I think in general, we want to try and figure out how to make sure that a burden of proof comes to the providers and not a bunch of you know people who are out there with no internet access trying to figure out how to uh, well, submit this stuff. And that's
1: the right way to do it because any one customer speed test can just be horribly screwed up for 20 reasons but the whole neighborhoods can't so that's making it be great mass speed test is the right test so yeah. So hey,
0: re- sorry i was going to try, um, try to. to, that. Go to well
2: me. i i don't know you know i guess kim and i we always live in the guilty till proven innocent world already so um <laughs> you know I, I, I can't, well, no, I mean, it's, it's just the reality when you're an ISP, you know, it's always the problems are issue and, you know, in-home technology is uh, less than ideal in most homes. You know, I can't tell you the number of uh, routers I, we've had to go out to that they bought at Goodwill and they think right. that this $10 router should, should suffice. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I will say if I read this correctly, though, is that the Louisiana... Um, Elements take in latency, which I think is kind of the first time I've seen that. Which I think is pretty clever, because they're
0: concerned with above fifty milliseconds, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, which makes me feel like Louisiana's probably got somebody pretty clever putting this together and understands the networking, because what you'll find in speed tests, speed tests are very easy to manipulate. Latency is mm-hmm. very difficult to um, yes. to hide, so I, I would say whoever's running the show over there, kudos at looking beyond the speed test. Hey, beyond the speed test, Mr. Mitchell, that's my new thing, now.
0: I mean, this is something I'm trying to do a show on with uh, Tom Reed, who's a consultant out of Ohio. and He's done some interesting stuff working with the Ohio office that we really want to highlight. He looks at the OOKLA data, for instance, and they toss out and they, they basically focus on the highest speed test in a given area. They toss out anything that has low signal strength over Wi-Fi. And so they're really trying to figure out, like, what is the best that we are seeing in the speed test data and how does that compare to the claims? And that is a pretty decent algorithm for trying to figure out like what is the reality on the ground. I think. And uh, and frankly, like I don't. I agree with you, Travis, that there are good ISPs who are struggling to uh, deal with, um, you know, with like people who are bringing those crap routers. To, but there's a lot of people who are um, who are out there and they have poor service and the uh, government just doesn't believe them, right? I mean, like, the FCC does not care um, about it. The FCC is just trying to figure out how to like get money in the hands of the biggest companies.
1: But there's yeah, enough I... of Travis's customers who are actually speed testing at a gigabit. <clears throat> I mean, he's not in danger of having a challenge,
2: so. mm-hmm. No, 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 I'm just saying yes. I mean, but a lot of these ISPs, they operate, and I, feel, and I do have some empathy for the, the engineers on the ground. They're operating with the tools they've been given. Right. And Mm -hmm. the part I've never understood is if you own these rural, you know, whatever the heck you call them, uh, telephone companies, why they haven't even invested 2% of their gross income in upgrading the networks over the years.
0: I mean, technically. Most of them
1: have, actually. Yeah.
0: Okay. So You you can look at the trade associations will sometimes have these figures. And even like several years ago, um, I don't remember exactly where Minnesota was, but if you look at the members of the uh, local Uh, The Minnesota Telecom Alliance, um, the South Dakota one, uh, you know, they'll say like 80 percent, 90 percent of the people served by their members have fiber or had fiber by then. Um, It's really the it's really the big um, Ilex. It's it's Frontier, Verizon, AT&T, Windstream and uh, CenturyLink, who are the ones who have disinvented. We don't have a rural broadband problem. We have a rural, uh, we have a problem with broadband Yeah, we have a problem with specific providers that have refused to invest and with a federal communications commission that looks at a map and says, look at all this great investment here. Look at these deadbeats here. How can we throw as much money as possible at the deadbeats rather than learning anything from the people that have actually invested? Um, And so that's that's some of the frustration that I have.
4: You're killing me because you're you're basically saying CenturyLink will use this money improperly. So, so can I get in on that? Don't you guys have like a running bet about like what percentage of the bead dollars is gonna go to the big incumbents? Can I yeah. get in on us on, let <laughs> well i, I was Well, a little bit more a little bit more a little bit plans read these bead plans and how, like plans a lot of them are just like of oh, a lot just of a we just of to we public going to encourage then you partnership, um then you know, to um, say like a little bit of So what are the like? I the, I, I want to do like the the price is right. I want to, I, I think I want to bid like cynically above whoever had the highest you can't, percentage. you can't, you can't beat Travis. I think he said, all Yeah, that. you're gonna be, you're gonna be, oh, a pretty fair. Fair. yeah. And, and, and yeah. watch out,
2: watch out for Slippery Mitchell here, he keeps changing. He started out at no two percent is gonna go to the big guys, and, and now he's trying to slide in in the 50s.
0: Right.
4: So, I'm here for you, Travis. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, I, I think electric cooperatives will probably make out pretty decent with uh, with, with B, but outside of that, I, I'm thinking like. Eighty five to ninety percent of this money is going right to the big news. I'm still
1: still in the seventy percent camp, but but some of the other folks may not be that
0: safer either
3: i'm with i'm with sean i'm, I mean, I'm up to like 91 i'll go above you sean 91
0: um i'm gonna i'm gonna sit right above doug i am mean, i'm gonna 75 i think right now um Ooh. i do wanna i do wanna ask this question um from um so
1: i get everything i get everything under 75 this
0: is awesome so okay. a variety of assumptions you can make. How many residential customers is reasonable to feed via a ten gigabit backbone? Sean, you're first. No, I'm just kidding.
4: <laughs> no problem. Travis, you're
0: muted. I thought you just said something. All right, Kim, you want to take that one?
3: You go for it, because I'm such a technical person over here.
0: <laughs> well, okay.
2: So I'll give you. I'll give you. Okay. So here, here's an approximation I'll give you, and you always have to. Um calculate based on your busiest times, which for us is right. Monday nights or when they run the season finale of football. So um Super that, Bowl Sunday? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, whatever that one Oh, is. that
3: that that thing. Okay, just what Yeah.
2: and apparently some girl <laughs> went this last. I don't know, it's all over my Facebook. Somebody went to the Kansas. I don't know what the hell happened in football. But anyways,
4: oh yeah. Fifty fifty
2: 50,000 customers would be 300 gigabit. 82% of that should be directly peered to your caching servers and stuff. So that kind of gives you an idea. And the more subscribers you get, the less per bit you need to buy. So a 10 10 gigabit connection, I would roughly say you could probably get 2,500 to 3,500
0: customers on there. That's what I was saying in my head. Yeah. Right there.
1: And, and, and as he just said, though, as you get bigger and bigger, you'll need less than 10. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. The, right. the key to this whole thing, if you're going to set up an Internet is if you're going to set up an Internet, if you're going to set up an ISP is. Um, get in North Korea. Get, yeah. Get to the nearest Internet exchange. That's what yeah. you start with. So get to an Internet exchange. You're going to offload three quarters of your bandwidth right there and then backfill with just some of the national transit providers.
0: So, what Travis, you're saying that in so, um, one of the other points you made now, if you if you upgrade that to a 40 gigabit link, you don't just multiply by four, you might multiply by no. five or six because, or, or, four right or by 10, yeah, yeah, yeah but,
1: no, even, or even 10, yeah, it gets, it gets yeah. big
0: real fast, right. okay. Yeah. I want to ask about, um, Sean, if you want to stick around, you can, but if you want to go, if you want to be off camera, that's cool too, um the um, the letter of credit? Can, can we <laughs> ask
1: one more question? Oh, eat left. I was oh, no, Come back, Sean. I, I was uh, just curious. Was there any other big finding out of reading
4: all this? Uh, no, nothing too surprising. It's just, you know, it, it, it's a lot of pu- encouraging public-private partnerships. Um, but, you know, with this whole letter of credit uh, situation, I don't know. It's not like, you know, states can compel ISPs the, to enter into public-private partnerships. So I don't know how they're going to get past that. But there's one state, and I was just trying to look up, that it's it's it stood out to me just because I basically they were they were saying, oh, you know, the way to increase competition is to focus on like middle mile networks. And I felt it, like, isn't that what like be isn't it wasn't that the it wasn't that what like the big guys convinced like the B top program to yeah. be about? And then Math,
0: Broadband one, two, three, Alberta Supernet, any number yeah. of other one of these. Like, I mean, I'm
4: on a board of a, of a middle mile open access network, and, and how
0: much competition has it encouraged? <laughs> Why are you why are you trying to figure out how to fill in all those holes? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And bead very makes it almost impossible to build middle mile out of bead. So that's just not a path you can use this money for. So
0: yeah. We need more open open uh, we need more middle mile investment. I don't want to trivialize that, but right. there's a lot right. of people who are just use that as a way to try to um, change the conversation away from yes. something that could take customers away from the big monopolies. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. All right. See y'all. See you uh, so, um, There's, uh, I didn't actually write down his uh, title, um, but um, I believe that NTIA, the letter of credit, There's an article here from broadband breakfast, I think uh, that Evan. Um, from the chat, Evan Feynman. Yeah. yeah. Um, he said the letter of credit requirement accomplishes two goals for the NTIA. It promises some recovery if a project fails, And it offers a chance for third-party financial analysis of projects. And I think both of those are kind of bogus. I'm not convinced in any way. Now, this was part of a story about how they are reconsidering it. So at any day, we're hoping to have news that this will be a less of an onerous requirement. But even these two reasons strike me as there is no reason to require this.
1: None. Those are completely bogus. They have nothing to do with the reality of the banking world. So, Did you read that article? and, And banks who give letters of credit have no idea how to judge a broadband business plan. So that's crazy. Well, I, I did like
3: it. They were like, this is not a grant program or whatever, how it was positioned. That's my step on,
0: don't, step, don't step on it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so Travis, did you have a reaction to it?
2: Um, no, I, I asked four bankers if they would write letters of credit for a uh, public private partnership and they all told me to go pound sand. Right. So.
0: Well, that's just the market telling you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I, I you know, have... exactly.
2: No, I, I I understand. I said,
0: oh, and we we decided we cannot trust you. <laughs> well, and Travis <laughs> yeah, has more access, and I need. <laughs>
1: and he has more access to cash than most of the IS, small ISPs. So that's crazy. <laughs> they're not going to get these. Oh, cash, right?
2: no, no, no. They're they're not no, interested so. at all, and and they're going to tax you on the on the B dollars too. I mean, there's nothing left.
0: Oh, no, as soon as government reopens sometime in March, I think they're going to fix that. Um, (laughs) The other quote, which Kim nailed, Kim, you and I, just uh, very simpatico. um, This is not a normal grants program. This is, in fact, not a grants program at all, he said. This is a universal coverage broadband infrastructure program. The tools that are being used to get there are grants. What? Why? Are, why do these people think is a good idea to keep te- keep making promises that they they cannot keep? I I can only. Assume I don't even
1: I, know what that those words mean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's just I, I mean I got I got to think that we are going to see broadband is going to if it's going to play any role in the next election it is going to be Republicans beating Democrats over the head with all these promises and everyone being like well of course my internet's only my more expensive now what is the issue so. And also, I mean, you know, one of the things that I think we'll see is that um, in the, in upcoming elections, anyone that wants to run across Democrats will be able to say, A, they made these exorbitant promises, and then B, I have to assume that the big cable and telephone companies are going to raise their rates the amount that they assume they would anyway, but now they'll blame net neutrality for having to yeah. do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's all in net neutrality's fault. And, it, and, and, and get it, this Travis quote. would raise his rates mm-hmm. if he could get a line of credit so
3: yeah that is true i keep looking at this quote it's like we're not a grants program but yet at the end of the sentence we are a grants are program a grant. yeah. <laughs> like, so you just went in a whole circle and i had to read three lines to get there <laughs> just asking yeah, I, just okay. asking
0: <laughs> it's um i mean i i just i come back to i think i mentioned this on a previous show but um you know speaking to someone who knows so much more than i'll ever know about the fcc and whatnot and just sort of like asking what exactly is, are they possibly thinking? And, and they were like, there is no one, you know, on the commission right now who understands how the, how broadband works or how the industry works, you know, to the extent that they have any experience, there may be a lawyer at the, at some end of the firm. And I'll tell you, like, I've reached, I've talked to some folks, some of the, the big companies have, um, have reached out to us over the years um, because they view us as subject matter experts, like some of the strategic uh, offices and things like that. And we've had candid conversations. And um, I don't think any like executive of these companies actually has a good handle on how any of this stuff works. I don't think anyone at the uh, higher level has any idea. This is all just uh, financial games for them. It's nothing to do with the technology or how it works.
1: Well, and let's tell the truth about these big ISPs. They're not even trying to make money. T-Mobile, who's had one of the best years you can possibly imagine. They've gained 8% customers over the last year. Their earnings are are record levels. They used $11 billion to retire their stock. That's what they're all using the money for. They're not putting it back into infrastructure, or they're not putting it in R&D. And I just pointed them out, but they're all doing exactly the same thing. It's crazy to think that these guys care one whit about the actual customers at the end of these lines. They only care about the stock price. So,
0: any last comments on that, Travis? And I, almost well, I, to, I, I almost, I almost did a rant there, Travis. I was getting.
2: I, I, you know, we we I <laughs> tried a couple buttons to get a rant going here, but I, I will stand by the uh, connect this show uh, offer to the FCC and the BEAD and whoever the hell gives all this money. Give us ten percent, and we'll do more good with it than the other ninety percent will. So. <laughs> there you go
1: and we will we'll uh, we'll we'll, We'll, we'll
2: do it yep we'll hire Doug and Chris and Kim and we'll go out there and we'll hook up more people and do more good with what 4.5 billion Mm dollars then they'll do with the rest there you go make that happen Mitchell
0: all right Matt got my marching orders um There was um, a report, uh, Spectrum Sharing, and um, this is exciting for me because this is one of those things that I keep thinking that I'm hoping we'll see in my lifetime. Uh, Doug, I don't know if you've read it. You're the one that's most likely, I feel like, out of all of us to have done so. Any reactions? Well,
1: I've not read that, but I
0: mean, I've been reading about Spectrum Sharing for 20 years. So
1: yeah, so I've not read the latest one. Um, the thing I have to tell you about Spectrum Sharing is there's, there's a secret that nobody talks about you realize that the biggest user of public Wi-Fi are the cellular companies. They completely raid the public. In cities, they use all of the Wi-Fi. The University of Chicago did a study two years ago, and they can hardly get outdoor Wi-Fi to work in a downtown campus, because they're downtown, because the cellular companies use all of the bandwidth. So they they share it all right. They they share it the other direction. The whole point of, of sharing is, we should, all these spectrums are only used in cities, and they're not used in the other places. They should make them all open to use. That's
0: we all agree with that. So. And so, if for anyone who's not tracking that, what you're saying, Doug, is that like we have these mobile devices, and like right now, like if I make a call, it's actually going to be going over my Wi-Fi network. And if I'm near an open network somewhere, someplace, it's going to be trying. When to use AT&T that.
1: is doing it over their
0: own Wi-Fi network. I mean, they're using those too.
1: They are actually using giant, and that spectrum they didn't pay for. They are completely raiding the, the Wi-Fi spectrums. So right. Yep. Yeah.
0: The reason I think this is important is is, you know, I'm curious. And what I really want to get a reaction to from everyone here is this sense that um, I, I'll sometimes tell people like a lot of what we talk about in terms of what's possible with wireless is premised on the idea of how it is currently regulated. If yeah. we had you if we were using not even modern day tech, but older tech that allowed for basic spectrum sharing and smarter radios, I think we would see fewer, I don't think we'd be talking about fiber in rural areas nearly as much. Uh, we would be we'd be doing much more with wireless. It'd be much higher quality. It'd be much lower cost. Uh, but because of the Department of Defense, because of the big cell phone carriers, we don't have access to a ton of, of this spectrum that would be useful. Nobody's using it out in those areas. And so we have to pay billions of dollars to lay wires there. I agree with that. I oh, mean, come on,
1: Chris. Fact... We're
3: going to have a problem anyway. We're going to find a problem. If, if that was solved, we would find something else to complain about. So but go ahead, but the, Doug. Keep going.
1: But then Tarana would probably charge a million dollars for each radio, right, Travis? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's twice I've heard that Tarana name today, which I finally figured out what they're called. I heard that this morning that I had a guy call me up. He's trying to do a bunch of mobile home parks, and he goes, I can't make this Toronto math work. I go, I couldn't either. So, mm-hmm. but uh, is it still the greatest thing since five G? Or are we
0: doing well, would do something else? I so? it's much. I would say it's much better than five G. I mean, it's pricey, but it's. And I, and I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm interested to know more about that because I got to think that if if any one of us was tasked with connecting a mobile home park, we probably would be using maybe Wi-Fi or Toronto. Yeah.
2: Or something called Fiber. You ever heard of that?
1: Now, here's an interesting
2: 5G
0: park. It's actually quite difficult. Um, The the owners don't want to get you in there. Um, Where you attach to it is an issue. There's all kinds of problems.
1: An interesting 5G point. AT&T wrote a blog two weeks ago that said they're finally going to actually start testing 5G features. All the 5G up to now is actually 4G. There is no 5G in the world.
3: They're no, lying to us, Doug? You're telling me oh, they're no, lying to that. us?
1: Okay. Well, only, only 100%, yeah. <laughs> but AT&T says they're actually out testing things, finally, <laughs> that are actually 5G. That's the first time I've seen anyone actually say that. So. Not that they're I'm with implementing Ruben. it, they're testing it. So.
3: I'm with Ruben. Well, I feel like my dead animals are about to come back to life if that 5G tower is close enough. So... um
0: I'm really happy about this. You know, a country that has people that believe that there were uh, litter boxes in um, uh, elementary school classrooms is possibly <laughs> going to freak out yeah, as soon as uh, some website starts reporting that uh, the new 5G radios are going to bring back dead animals. <laughs> for some kind of panic. Well, and, and,
1: it, and the rumor started here. So.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we can make a contribution. I, I want to talk about um, uh, the digital equity coalitions. And I'm one of the things that I think we're going to see with digital equity coalitions is uh, more and more stress as some of the digital equity coalitions recognize that they can only get so far before they have to deal with the fact that people don't have a connection in the home. Um, and without dealing with, uh, the, um, the big cable and telephone monopolies, we're not going to get another connection home. I don't think charter spectrum is ever going to do a good job of connecting, uh, low income households. Comcast has been at it for more than 10 years. They've done as good of a job as can be done. And there's a lot of folks that still need to be connected in Comcast territories. This isn't a job for them. They, uh, they're not well suited to it. Um, but at the same time, these companies are putting money often into the digital equity coalitions uh, specifically so they can threaten to withhold it or to, um, uh, you know, basically have a lot of influence when these questions come up. Because well, that's, that's
1: the reason so they can influence the policy. Yeah, so,
0: yep. yeah, because they're and I don't even think it's a matter of like I don't think Charter or AT&T really cares if uh, some nonprofit or municipal ISP. Takes all the public housing. They don't. They don't care about that. They're worried that it will then expand and and actually create a threat to them, which is sort of what Digital C is doing in Cleveland.
1: Well, the other challenge these groups have <clears throat> is after this three years, grant money runs out. Are these programs going to be sustainable? Because they're using these grants to hire people. Those people will not be funded four years from now. So. And that's a digital real equity challenge. Yeah,
3: digital equity is a hard one. It's just it's a, a hard one, one in unless you have like a city owned or something like that, and you're having to go to these big guys, it's going to be hard to really get accomplished. I always say that the problem with digital equity is operationalizing it. It's not that people are not, don't have great ideas, but it's really how do you operationalize the day-to-day on
2: uh, the digital equity front.
0: Any uh, any reactions, Trev?
2: I was actually writing down what Kim just said, because that's probably the best thing I've ever heard. Is, yeah, how do you actually, yeah, well, you and I have talked about this in kind of more of our, you know, our lingo, which is how do you get, how do you get stuff done, actually make a difference? Because it seems like a lot of people want to talk about it. Hell, I sat and listened to it for two hours, and I still (laughs) couldn't figure out, all right, so what are you going to do? And Chris, you and I have talked about this for, what, five years? And there's just, it's a tough one. It's, It's a tough nut to crack, I'll tell you that.
0: Yeah. I mean, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, there's no one that even talks about it really. Um, you know, not at a, not at a city level. Uh, they, they want to shout at Travis and, and they want to you know cash checks from Comcast and Charter Spectrum or not Charter, um, uh, not in the Twin Cities, at least immediately. Um, but uh, from uh, Central CenturyLink and whatnot. Um, but they, they just don't take much of an interest in it. But if you look at like, you know, Columbus, um, um, a, a number of, uh, city like Charlotte—they're um, doing, I think, good work. But they're going to be running up against um, these challenges of how you do it. LA certainly—you um, have this coalition that's trying to deal with this. Um, and uh, I'm excited in some ways. Like I think that you know, cities and, and counties are starting to recognize that someone's got to do something, and there's no one else but them.
1: And and it's the first time at least somebody's tried. It. I mean, it's a, it's a good start. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about these efforts. So but, but are they sustainable? That's going to be the question.
0: So. Right. And, uh, digital C is sustainable in part because, uh, they have an endowment. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the questions. I think philanthropy in this area has been, um, first of all, massively under-resourced. There's very little philanthropy Mm -hmm. actually trying to solve this issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, most, most people in philanthropy, I think are scared by it. They don't understand it. They're, they don't know who to talk to about it. Um, and, um, but like, uh, we need to figure out how to be serious about this. Um, you know, um, I, I look back at how Carnegie built the libraries, and um, the question is, is: someone is there a philanthropy that's going to step up at that level to try to get people connected? I haven't seen any sign of that.
1: That's what Travis is doing wrong. You didn't build a library, Travis.
2: Well, I was I was actually going to ask him if it's okay if I use that. Um, Mm-hmm. Operationalized digital equity. Can I use that? Is that public domain or is it? Do you have that, that, that is public domain. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Because mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, that that sums it up in three words. Well done. Yeah, I love it.
0: I was in a city where the digital equity person that was responsible for it. Um, this was in, uh, last year, 2022, I believe, and uh, and this was a major left uh, left coast like lefty city. Um, and, uh, and the person said something on the lines of, yeah, we, uh, we have a plan uh, to make a plan. And I was like, it is 2022. There is a historic amount of money that has been delivered to you. And another historic amount of money that is going to be available to the state for digital equity planning. And the best you can say is you have a plan to make a plan. Um, you should quit. You, you should be fired. Like you are not doing your job. Like this is this is ridiculous. Um, you need to figure out something, try something. If it fails, try something else. I mean, this was my issue with Palo Alto over the years with uh, they're sitting on millions of dollars saying, Oh, we just don't know. There's so many questions about, about municipal broadband. Uh, we don't know how we would get the answers to any of them. Oh, and by the way, we have $20 million sitting in a bank account that we're only supposed to use for fiber. What could we ever do? And, uh, and it was just like, there's just some people who exist to not take action. I feel like it's infuriating.
1: Well, I mean, <clears throat> people who work directly for governments—not, I mean, not like Utopia, who's sort of ancillary to governments. A lot of those folks, by definition, are completely non-entrepreneurial. I mean, let's be serious. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, you it's have to true. be entrepreneurial. It's true. You, you have to be entrepreneurial to make any of these things work. You have to be. So,
0: we do have a question from Juan. We'll take this, and then we'll we'll probably sign off for the day. Um, so, uh, there's this question, and uh, Juan is asking specifically about. Uh, higher quality connections we're not talking about dsl we're talking about a high quality um, and so um, i'm curious travis if you have any sense of this um, i think mean, the the question that i would pose that one uh, makes is basically you know what percentage of people living in minneapolis are not having a connection that and they would like to have a decent home connection
2: so the only data point that i have is during the pandemic when we opened up our public wi-fi network and we had 7500 people use it on a day-to-day basis but i can't tell you that that's a linear kind of answer um we've tried to work with schools and different entities but you just we can't get to that root data quite frankly unless unless you know of a place chris
0: uh, no, I mean, I, I don't think there's any data that's been collected along this, although I'd be curious about Kim and Doug's gut feelings. I would put forth that I would suspect that um, on the order of 20% of Minneapolis, I would suspect, uh, are people who uh, are not able to get internet access in their homes. Um, some of that I would, res- say,
1: I would say 15 to 20%, and it's less only because mm-hmm. Travis has built some. But he wasn't there. It would be twenty percent easily. Yeah, mm-hmm. most cities are at least twenty percent. So.
0: Right. I just saw an interesting data report, and um, it said that the number of wireless-only households has shrunk uh, since 2020. It had been increasing modestly, and uh, since the pandemic, uh, wireless-only households has dropped fairly significantly. Um, you know, which is to say, not just one percent, more like four or five percent percentage points per year. I think. That could be because you can't well, uh, run
1: all the mod. You can't run all your modern broadband needs on your cell phone.
3: It's yeah, and a right. lot of people are doing yeah. hybrid yeah. workforce. Yeah, like you cannot do Zoom meetings all day with a wireless connection. You just can't. No. I think it's that. That's what's changed wireless. it. Yeah, mobile wireless. wireless. Yeah, yeah, mobile wireless connections. Yeah.
2: You know, Kim, have I you run into, have you run into, the, you run into okay. this? So we have a whole new wave now of work from home people that we've been onboarding lately, that they're employer will not allow them to work from home if they have any kind of wireless connection whatsoever have you have you run into that
3: I'm sure we have I haven't really heard about it but I mean we had yeah. that we I started seeing that back in the early 2020 days um, not so much today that's interesting you're seeing more of an uptick today on that,
2: that I, yeah like at least a dozen last week and they won't they, they want their computer to be Ethernet connected to the router as well. They don't even want in-home Wi-Fi.
0: Hmm.
2: And these were people specifically in the healthcare industry. So I, d- I didn't know if you'd seen any of that lately. I think there's often a,
0: a sense of, of uh, security as opposed to performance.
2: Well, they're, awesome, they're saying but... it's due
0: to consistency, yeah. Uh, the state of the state of Minnesota had had some rules around that um, for VPNing and whatnot, but I thought it had to do it more with a sense of uh, reliability.
1: I'm going to also bet that, believe it or not, it has something to do with insurance. So,
0: yeah. Okay. So they, yeah. I'm sorry, I, meant, I just totally
1: misspoke, but I meant security. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So
0: insurance Ruben's, would make uh, sense. Got, yeah. See, it, Ruben it's, has insurance,
1: it's insurance about security, and I think people are getting yeah. very worried about paying too much for that. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, we actually came up with a new product where we'll run an Ethernet cable up to somebody's office if they're in the healthcare industry, you know, like specifically to their work computer. I just I don't know why all of a sudden it came out of the blue, but it seems to be. I mean, kind of a major
0: employer that changed their policy.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Okay, well, this has been good. I really appreciate the questions. I want to I want to just I think wrap up the uh, with uh, Juan's questions because I think you know I think Juan might be suggesting I'm not sure, but there's a number of people for whom, I think if they got signed up for ACP, if they found a provider that would work for them, they could be connected. And so there is an avenue there. But I think one of the problems with our current set of providers and the ACP program is how difficult it is uh, to make that for many of the people that qualify for it. So I think that might be some of the delta between where Juan is thinking we are and where I think we think we are.
1: Well, one of Juan's points was there are people who just don't want it or I mean, they do exist. You couldn't give it to them for free, so no.
0: Right. I just don't think there's a whole lot of those. And even some of those have grandkids that they want to come over. Right. So, right. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll aim to be back in about two weeks or so. i um, sure there'll be more topics. I need to get uh, an invite out to, uh, I'm going to see if Mike Dano will come back, see if we can uh, do this LTE show, sort of present and future. Um we had some questions come in that I've deferred to that. Uh, and so I just really want to really encourage people, if there's anyone who's listening that is like, oh, why don't they ever talk about this thing? Uh, I'd love to hear it um, because the way this show develops is that a day or two beforehand, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs>
1: what are we going to talk about?
0: <laughs> and so, you know, I try to pick things that uh, that I think would be interesting that aren't covered as well elsewhere or whatnot. So, uh, always open to ideas. Um, and uh, want to thank uh, everyone. Thanks, thanks, Sean for coming on. Um, we do have a building for digital equity episode next week on Tuesday at I believe twelve Eastern time, and uh, that uh, is going to be talking about uh, some of the issues that are similar here. A lot of different speakers. Um, Some of the folks that have been guests on here before will be there. Um, And that'll be uh, on our ILSR, as well as uh, National Digital Inclusion Alliance channels. Uh, So if you haven't seen anything about that, visit communitynets.org. You'll see a little um, note about it, Uh, but uh, it's all free, you can just come. It's sponsored by Utopia Fiber. So some of you all might just trust the branding around that. Uh, thank you, Doug. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Kim. Thank I have you. One
1: part, well, I have one thank you, Chris. Shot. On a scale of one to ten, how did everyone feel about
0: Travis's headphones?
3: Mm. Oh, I'm a five, but
0: I, I, I like their apple. Good. I, yeah. I kind of assume they really like football broadcast or something because he's a huge sports mm. guy.
1: Yes, he does look uh, like uh, that. Yep. I, give, I, give, yes. I give him an eight. I'm giving him an eight.
0: So,
2: yeah. I, I think they're pretty good. They're amazing how well they I, it's. I mean, they're unreal. The quality.
0: Yeah, they're Apple, So of course you're gonna say that. You're you're a fanboy.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I tried to go to the Microsoft store, but apparently they closed it. I don't know. If, you know.
0: <laughs> I was saying that you know you give me you give me a bunch of crap about how you show up as a green dot and it's somehow my fault when Apple's the one using a deprecated standard and oh it's using you know Apple, so you know whatever
2: I'll, I gotta get I gotta give Kim kudos for that because I use that all the time. Oh, you're a green friend. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought it was- Green Who are you
0: using it with?
2: Well, you are my green friend, yes. But you know, when you, when we
0: put you in a group,
2: now the whole group is green.
0: So, <laughs> I'm a I'm a contagious Martian. Um, thank you, everyone. <laughs> we'll see you back here in two weeks or so, and uh, we'll have another fun episode of Connect This.